The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, thanks a lot, Carl. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Frank Holland in for Scott Wapner. Stocks plunging as we close out the final trading day of the month, the quarter, and the first half. The S&P on track for its worst first half since 1970. Yes, the Nixon presidency. Where are stocks going in the second half and what do investors do from here? We're going to discuss that with our investment committee, all-star panel as always. Bryn Talkington, Jason Snipe, downtown Josh Brown, and John Ajarian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's get a check on the sell-off right now. The major averages bouncing off their lows. The Dow was down almost 600 points, now down about 250, but still on pace for its worst month since March of 2020. That's right, since the start of the pandemic. The S&P on track for its worst first half in more than 50 years, but not its worst six-month period, actually. That dubious honor goes to the six-month period from September 2008 to February of 2009 during the financial crisis. Bob Pisani with a great article on CNBC.com about that. The Nasdaq was down almost 3% earlier, but still set for its worst quarter of Q4 since Q4 of 2008, all the way back to the Great Recession. Ten-year yield right now. Pretty much uh, at oh, just under 3%, actually off of its highs from earlier today, still up over a percent from the start of the year. History lesson over now. We now look forward. Josh Brown, I'm going to come over to you. What sectors do you like? What are you looking at for the second half of the year? Shabbat Shalom. Unfortunately, the history lesson is not over um, because I have something to contribute uh, to all, all of these history lessons that we're hearing uh, that I think is important because <laughs> situational awareness, situational awareness is really what's going to, I think, is what's going to enable people to survive um, what's currently happening and what may still be to come. There have only been three times that stocks and bonds have had two se- uh, consecutive quarters uh, negative. This like is very, very rare to have both of the largest asset class markets be down two quarters in a row. This comes from Willie Delwich, who put this out. And if you look at those three times, uh, one of them was in 1980, one of them was in 1981. We were fighting a very similar battle then as we are now. And the third example is uh, Q2 of 08 into Q3 of 08. So what happens historically when you've got two consecutive quarters of both bonds and stocks having negative returns? Unfortunately, in all three of those moments uh, following, bonds outperform stocks in that following quarter. So I asked uh, Michael Batnick, why would that have been the case? Um, Wishfully thinking, bonds staged a furious rally and just happened to have outpaced the bounce in stocks. But that's actually not what happened. What happened was stocks continued to get worse. I think some of that is because psychology very rarely uh, stops and turns on a dime. So I'm not giving you that information so that you go ahead and say, okay, so next quarter is going to be horrible also. It doesn't have to turn out that way. I have a sample set of three. We're not doing science here. But psychologically, you have to ask yourself, um, 
yeah, it's pretty bad right now, but what might seep into the picture that could change things? Historically, you would say, well, earnings. The problem is, in a lot of cases, we're already at peak earnings. And I don't even want to talk about tech. You look at the comments coming from a company like Restoration Hardware, and I know this has been covered on the network today so far, but that's truly noteworthy because Restoration Hardware is serving the most affluent segment of the consumer. And if the most affluent segment of the consumer is pulling back on discretionary purchases to the degree that Restoration Hardware is citing, and I doubt they're the only people seeing it, um, it's really hard to imagine the rest of the consumer class um, being all that different, and in fact, could be much worse. So nothing I'm saying is news if you've been watching the stocks of, for example, Walmart, Target, and Home Depot. We go down the whole list. But that kind of psychological shock doesn't stop on a dime after the first quarter in which it's, it's begun. So we're going to have to be patient here. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be investing, you shouldn't buy, et cetera, et cetera. What you have to do is just tell yourself, I may not have immediate gratification for the investments that I make today. I'll end with one of my favorite uh, Chinese proverbs. The best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is today. You're going to be investing. If you have a 401k every two weeks, a portion of your portfolio is going into it. Hopefully you're not screwing with your allocations. You'll be buying stocks. You may not feel like a genius a month from now based on these purchases. This is the thing that you have to do. You have to master your own psychology and you have to be okay with the idea that it's going to take some time to get through this and not every stock you buy right now is gonna look like the greatest decision you've ever made. That's most, forget about all the economic commentary. You have to master your own emotions first. Professor downtown, wow, I'm going to have to take this one past fail. A lot on that syllabus. We had economics, Eastern philosophy, a lot to, lot to digest there. Brent, I'm going to come over to you. Do you want to talk about tech? I see uh, you're invested in the ARK Innovation ETF, the QQQ. You got a lot of exposure to tech. How do you see that shaping up for the second half of the year? Yeah, Frank. Well, so we're asset allocators. So, I mean, on the show, we talk about positions and absolutes, but really it's so important to talk about them in the context of an overall portfolio. So we're, we've been underweight tech, those positions, especially on the Qs and ARC, you know, since last year. And so because I think as, as an asset allocator, looking back to December of 2021, we knew the Fed was going to be raising rates. And I'm a big I'm a big believer in the Marty's why don't fight the Fed quote, because it's true. And so right now, investors, when you're putting money to work, have to understand that the, that the Fed is pressing against the market right now because they are trying very effectively to tighten financial conditions. And so we've already had year to date 15 trillion of market cap wiped out between stocks and bonds. So the Fed has been very effective in that negative wealth effect of, of, of making investors feel their net worth going down. And so I think as it relates to tech, you have to be really sensitive to multiples because I think we would all agree on the panel, Microsoft is a wonderful company. I own Microsoft, but is 23 times earnings the multiple the market wants to pay for that. And so I think that I would contend that the last 10 years, you had the majority, of, you had over 50% of stocks return from PE multiple expansion. Historically, if you go back 150 years, 
that number's about 15%, and dividends and earnings growth made up the more of that. And so I think as a tech, in my tech positions, I'm very, I'm very settled. I have, to Josh's point, a good mental lens to say, I think the probability that multiples in tech have to come down is high. So I'm gonna sit in those, uh, it'll be uncomfortable, but that's the price of admission for investing. Because if you're only, if everything in your portfolio is moving, Frank, in the same direction, you have the wrong portfolio. So while everyone's running to consumer staples, while everyone's running to everything that just is moving higher, or even energy, you have to be diversifying a portfolio. Because if nothing else, if people should have learned the last two years, the tides change really quickly, and you don't want to chase sectors just because they feel good in the short term because they're going higher. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit more about tech and our Delivering Alpha stock survey coming up. But uh, Jason, I want to come over to you. What are you seeing in the second half of the year? We look at the first half, utilities and healthcare, the best performers tied for that first place spot. Are you looking for opportunities there or elsewhere? Yeah, Frank, so obviously it's good to see you, man. Uh, I think there's a, there's a lot to think about here. Obviously, the market was down 20 percent, 20 plus percent in the first half of this year. And the Fed is obviously tightening into a slower economy. The economy is obviously slowing. You could look at housing, PMI data. I mean, all, the, all these numbers are starting to come in. Commodities are starting to roll over a bit. But I think, you know, when you're looking towards the second half of this year and beyond, you know, we're not going to see 8% plus inflationary prints forever. Uh, we're not going to see, you know, all these types of pressures that we're seeing across the economy, you know, for, for a very prolonged time time period. So I, I think it's important, yes, to be defensive, healthcare, utilities, staples, those, those have obviously outperformed uh, to date. But I think you could start to look at growth areas of the market and, and nibble. So it's, it, when I say nibble, it's starting a position. So if there's names that you don't own in tech, as an example, if it's, if it's a Microsoft or some of the mega cap techs or any, some of the semi names, I think this is a time where you could potentially look to start a position. Maybe you're adding a quarter uh, to that position today and, and looking to dollar cost average over the next 12 months. I think it's very important to note that you want to be balanced here to Bryn's point. You want to be diversified. And I think that is the winning sample uh, going forward in this marketplace. Yeah, a lot of people looking for opportunities. John, I'm going to come over to you. What are you keeping your eye on right now? Well, uh, the 10-year primarily, 10-year uh, and the VIX. I'll hit both of those, Frank. So the 10-year has made a huge move from the middle of the month um, and obviously, as uh, the TLT, for instance, one of the ways to measure, you know, how interest rates are doing, uh, it was 108 in the middle of June. And now it's pushing towards 116 today. Uh, that means rates down. You already talked about it, Frank, uh, breaking through 3% today. Um, the, the issue there is, of course, people do not think that the Fed has the gumption, has the guts to keep driving interest rates higher and pushing us into a recession. They do have that dual mandate, we know that, um, but is uh, getting inflation under control, which is not gonna be possible for probably at least a year, in my opinion, Frank, because it's gone so far. I don't think uh, they can do that without driving us into a hard recession. Soft recession, yeah, that's what I'm looking for, soft recession. Now, as far as the VIX, Frank, um, big player, the guy we call 50 Cent, the guy or woman, because I don't know who it is, um, but they generally buy options that are priced at about 50 cents in the VIX. They bought 75,000 of those upside calls today. Um, so we've been above 20 
um, since uh, middle of April for the VIX. We haven't been able to break down. Um, we've been basically in the middle of that between 20 and 30 most of that time. And the predictions, at least going forward right now, are we're going to be looking at higher volatility because of so much uncertainty, because of uh, you know the Fed being backed into a corner yet again of their own doing. They painted themselves into this quarter by corner by waiting so long. Um, and it'll be very interesting to see the July meeting, uh, you know, basically the 27th of July, I believe, the next FOMC, um, coming after that big CPI reading July 15th, Frank. Yeah, VIX up uh, big today. By the way, I thought you meant like the wrapper 50 cent at first. I was like, 50 cents on marketrebellion.com? Wow. All that's right. what we, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what we call them because, uh, and that's what everybody in the pit calls them too because nobody else trades 75,000 at a crack or 100,000, but that's what this guy does. By the way, you saw 50 cent changed his nickname to 85 cent because of inflation? <laughs> I did not. That's a great one right there, John. I did not see that. All right, we have the results of our delivering okay. Alpha stock survey. We pulled about 500 chief investment officers, equity strategists, portfolio managers, and CNBC contributors, including the investment committee that you see today, who manage money about where they stood on the markets for the rest of 2022. One of the first questions we asked them, where will the S&P be by the end of 2022? So take a look here. 13% say below 3,500. 34% say above 3,500, but below 4,000. And then 40% say between 4,000 and 4,500. You see the rest of the numbers there. John, I'm going to come back around that circle over to you. Where do you see the S&P by the end of the year in the second half? Are you optimistic, pessimistic? Where are you landing right now? Um, I, I think we'll be struggling and perhaps uh, about 4,000, 4,100, Frank. I, I don't see some of those higher numbers, like 40% of the folks say 4,000. Okay, uh, 4,500, though, no, I don't see that. All right, we want to look at some of these other questions here. I know you guys also weighed in on this. Uh, the next question is the asset class where investors will be most aggressive for the rest of 2022. 55% said stocks, 24% said cash. 10% said real estate, 8% bonds, and just 3% said crypto. Um, obviously, more than half saying stocks. Jason, are you bullish on stocks? So I, I, I think you have to be in stocks. I mean, we, we, we talked about this earlier in the program. I think for me, as I look towards the second half of the year and, and of course, beyond that, you know, stocks or, or equities is where you need to be. I think if we're looking at a recession playbook, I think healthcare is a great place to be. I mean, the, the labor market is tight. I mean, there might be some some volatility there going forward as as the, the Fed continues to increase rates. But I, I like health care. I like staples, uh, even though they're somewhat expensive. But I do think uh, you have to be in equities to continue to grow for in the long term. And, and that's how I would be positioned going forward. Hey, Josh, really quick, I know we're, we're going to get to the next question in a second, but I know you've been one of the biggest advocates of crypto. Still seeing a constructive path for crypto in the second half of the year? Uh, I don't know if I'd call myself an advocate, but I'm a participant <laughs> in crypto going back to uh, 2017. And some years are more fun than others. But okay. I, think what's really, I think what's really fascinating about what's happening this year, probably what will happen in the second half of this year, is how quickly all of a sudden uh, some of the most, let's call them libertarian voices in the crypto market are now screaming for some sort of regulatory oversight or at least clear guidelines about what can be done and what can't. And I think that the second half of this year, given all the damage that's been done and some of the higher profile blowups, particularly in uh, lending, 
which I personally have never quite understood. Uh, but I think all of a sudden we're going to see uh, some oversight come to the party. It may be short term, uh, not so great, especially for people who have uh, looked at that segment of the market as some sort of unspoiled virgin territory where they could do whatever they want. Right. That, that part is probably over. So with oversight and with some, um, with some uh, let, let's, let's call it rulemaking, I think you can get more constructive on the sector um, because okay. what has to happen at this point is people have to become less afraid of it. All right. We're going to talk much more about crypto later on in the show. Uh, we're going to continue with our survey results. Next question. What are you most likely to buy right now? 42% saying stocks paying high dividends. 18% saying mega cap tech. 16% saying financials. Bryn, where are you at on this one? Are you all about the dividends or is there some other area where you're really focused in? I think my answer would be more all of the above. I think you don't want to just focus on companies and do a screen of which are the highest dividend yielding stocks. So a lot of those stocks can be value traps. I think when it comes to dividends, where you have seen investors, you know, really plant their plant their flag is on the energy space. The energy space is volatile. It's always going to be volatile. But you have a basket of companies that you have a secular secular tailwind. You have low multiples. You have increasing earnings in a year where most likely S&P earnings are coming down. Energy earnings are going to be continuing to go higher. And you also have good dividends or distribution yields. And so I think that mosaic of those three things of distribution yields, growing earnings and valuations, you'll continue to see people in the energy space. I like to play the, the play the energy space right now, though, as I own some names and I'm selling calls against them because I do think we're going to have higher volatility over the next couple of months. But I do once again to what I said earlier at the beginning of the show, Frank, I don't think you just want to pigeonhole yourself into one sector or one theme because things change very quickly. And so well, I own some financials, I own energy, I own some healthcare, and I own some tech and then I own some defensive stocks. And so I would say own a basket, but energy definitely is a great place for dividends. Yeah, Brent, energy names some of the, actually the best dividend stocks in the S&P, Pioneer Natural Resources at seven, almost 8%. Um, some other names, Devin, at almost uh, 6.5% as well. Jason, over to you. Um, what high dividend stocks are you looking at? Are you looking in that area? Yeah, I think it's important to, to be in that part of the marketplace. And, and, and to Brent's point, I think you, you can't just tether yourself to the exact marketplace. As an example, I like AbbVie here, and I also like Chevron, you know, healthcare and energy spaces. But I, but I believe going forward, especially in this marketplace that we're, we're all a part of, uh, these are areas of the market that, that are continuing to do well. You know, if I look at an AbbVie, they're really strong pipeline, you know, a dividend of close to 4%. Uh, CVX Chevron is, you know, obviously the fully integrated energy name, you know, that's really benefiting from the environment that's been going on. They were profitable at $60 a barrel, you know, in terms of oil and obviously very profitable here. So those are types of names that I would look, but I wouldn't just just tether yourself just to the number. I think you have to also look at the sector, you know, and, and the business as a whole. And I think those are the plays, two plays that I'd like here. All right. We got one more question we, we want to look at here. Uh, it says, which tech stock would you buy first? Survey says 21% Microsoft, 18% Apple, 16% Amazon. Um, obviously, mega cap tech names, a lot of them consider, uh, people consider these stocks blue chip names. Um, I'm going to come back to you, Josh. Is there one of these that you would pick first if you had to buy a mega cap tech? Uh, I think the biggest opportunity in the mega caps is in uh, Amazon. This stock is now back to its pre-pandemic level, uh, which is shocking. 
when you consider how much progress the company has made over the last two years uh, in amping up what they do, speeding up delivery times. Uh, the AWS stuff has just been uh, a bonanza. And I don't think they really give a lot of that adoption back. So it's, it's really incredible to me how far this stock has fallen, um, split, split adjusted. This is really back to where it was um, before that quickening and pace of, of e-commerce, et cetera. So I think that's probably the biggest opportunity out of the, the whole group, just given how far it's fallen. All right, John, over to you. You have a, a pick out of these three. Is there any other name in mega cap tech that you like? Would you pick Apple over Amazon, Microsoft over either one? I'd pick Microsoft. Um, I'd go secondarily with uh, Apple and then um, Amazon. I like all three. All three have reoccurring revenue streams, um, which is not surprising that that would put them in this category, Frank. And obviously, Azure, a uh, very big cloud competitor uh, to AWS. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the cloud that Apple uses for over a billion devices worldwide. Um, they get paid monthly for that, uh, and then you throw services into it. I don't think you can go wrong with any of these three, Frank, even though, as Bryn said, this is one of those times when you sort of have to um, buy them and know you're not going to get that instant gratification. You're going to have to wait. Right. Hey, great segue there, because Bryn said she's making some new moves in this market. Her new buys are up next mm. in halftime. That's coming back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. And welcome back to Halftime. The Investment Committee is making moves. Bryn, you have two new buys. Yeah, Frank, so as we talked about earlier, I feel like really confident the market could go lower before it goes higher, and we're in these uncharted waters. But when I look at my buy list of names, I want to start dollar cost averaging into, into multiple names, and I, and I picked two about a week ago. And so it was Lennar and GM. Lennar's interesting. Lennar's been a home builder in the U.S. since the 50s. And from a multiple, multiple perspective, in 2017, Lennar had about a 15 PE. Right now, it's trading about a four. And if you go read their earnings that they had just a couple weeks ago, 
their gross margins were higher, their earnings were higher. They did a $320 million stock buyback. They have a little bit of dividend, but that's not why I bought it. And I think that structurally, we all know we have a shortage of homes in the U.S. And so right now, obviously, the market has punished this name. And I'm fully aware that this could go from a 4 P.E. to a 3 P.E. But I think as an entry point right now, we're getting to the point of maybe peak pessimism. And I believe that a year from now, Jay Powell is more likely to cut rates than raise rates because, once again, we are we are going into financial tightening into a stalling economy. And so as an investor, I want to look not straight down. I want to look out a little bit. And so I took an initial position. I'm prepared to add more. Yeah, and then totally hey, Bryn, different how, GM. How, uh, Go ahead. Yeah. Bryn, how, how, how confident, though, are you in the E? Because in my experience, when a very heavily cyclical stock is selling at a single digit multiple, it's because the market doesn't believe that that E, even though it's a published estimate, is really going to show up. So are you, are you concerned yeah, at all a, that it's, the I, E might not be what we thought it would be? Well, I mean, if you had housing just go off the rails, right? So, but I, I, do think, I do think people have a little bit of PTSD from 2007 to 2009 of the housing crisis. And yes. so once again, I took initial position, but if you look at their, their new orders increased by 4%, backlogs are up by 16%, gross margins are up by 340 basis points, even with higher cost. And so I feel like something would just have to fall off a cliff for, for their earnings not to come in. But you know, the CEO, I like him, you know, he came out and said, if I gave you guidance, that would, be ne that would be akin to guessing. And so he's been really transparent about, I'm not gonna guess what's gonna happen because mortgage rates definitely affect them. But I thought it was a good entry point. But you're, I'm definitely open to the idea that something dramatic could happen and the E goes down. But, it, but you've had multiple compression because the company's gotten stronger, not because it's been a value stock that just keeps getting a worse and worse story. Yeah, Lenar hitting session highs right now, Bren. And over to your other pick. Oh, yeah. So GM, you know, this is interesting. I've always been interested more on the tech side. And, you know, they own 80 percent of crews. I would not be personally, I would not be buying GE for the EV play. I think they're going to be price takers, not price makers. And I already own LIT, which is the ETF that buys the components that go into the car. And I think that group has pricing power, but they do own 80 percent of crews. And I think that as the autonomous taxis over the next five to six years really gain traction. They are the leaders in the space. I thought it was worth it was worth an, it was worth a position in my portfolio at these prices. John, over to you. I know you sold your GM calls. Yeah, sold those, Frank. Um, I think a lot of these folks that uh, lined up against Tesla and there will be and there is competition against Tesla. This is not me just cheerleading Tesla, Frank, but um, a lot of these companies that came into the space, Ford and GM in particular with their pickups, um, are, are saying, okay, those pickups are gonna be 39,000. No, they're not. Um, you can't find um, a Silverado. Uh, forget about the fact that you know there's a wait list for this stuff, a significant one, uh, which is good, but you can't find one of those things that's not optioned more like 70,000 on up. Ford, the F-150 Lightning, over 100,000. So when they come in and say, well, yeah, we're going to compete with Tesla on price and on performance and all that, no, you're not. Uh, you're, you're bringing out a much more expensive vehicle, which limits the amount of folks that could be buying it. So all these inputs, Frank, have gone up substantially for everybody, for Elon Musk, as well as for Mary Barra over there at General Motors. 
so I think that it's just not the time to be buying that. The stock's been cut in half this year. Mm-hmm. I think it probably sees mid to high 20s, and maybe then I'll nibble back in. Yeah, lithium prices definitely up. Uh, some other issues sourcing things like nickel, cobalt, other factors or other components that need to go into that. Josh, I know you uh, actually sold your GM shares. Yeah, uh, for, fortunately. Uh, this Look, it, it's, it's a great company, but you have to divorce yourself from, from that temporarily because what we're talking about is whether or not there might be a better opportunity to buy a great company. Uh, I don't hate it here in the low 30s, by the way. And if, in fact, it gets a two-handle in front of it, that, that just doesn't seem like uh, you're taking that much risk. Like, if that's the worst that could happen, you're probably not taking too much risk. You have a, a decent-sized dividend there, too. Uh, not that that'll really cushion anything, but it's another attractive feature of the stock. Um, it's just tough for me to say, okay, we may or may not be going into a recession, but just in case we're not, let's buy some GM. It's just not where my head is at right now. So I, I love the company. I just, I'm not sure if like this is the moment. All right, well, coming up here on halftime, the crypto carnage. Bitcoin on pace for its worst quarter since 2011. Coinbase on pace for its worst quarter going back to its IPO in April of 2021. The investment committee is making moves in the space. We're going to discuss it next on halftime. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Eamon Javers, and here's our CNBC News update at this hour. A judge in Kentucky has temporarily blocked the state's near-total ban on abortion. The ban had been automatically triggered by the Supreme Court ruling that overturned Roe v. Wade. Attorneys for abortion clinics argue that Kentucky's Constitution protects abortion rights. Kentucky voters will have the final say. An initiative on the November ballot, if approved, would establish that no state constitutional right to an abortion exists. And the Israeli parliament has voted to dissolve itself. That means Israeli citizens will be going to the polls to elect leaders for the fifth time in less than four years. The latest move comes just over a year after the current unity government was formed. 
Casino workers in Atlantic City may be going on strike just after midnight tonight. Union negotiators and management are trying to work out new contracts ahead of that deadline. The union wants significant salary increases to help keep up with surging inflation. Failure to reach an agreement could result in a costly strike during what's ordinarily a very busy July 4th holiday weekend. Frank, I'll send it back over to you. All right. Thanks a lot, Eamon. You bet. The crypto carnage continues with Bitcoin on pace for its worst quarter since Q3 of 2011. John, you just bought more Bitcoin and Ethereum, adding to the holdings you already had. Um, obviously, cryptocurrency overall just down big this year. What made you want to buy more? Well, um, I trade it, Frank. Um, I don't trade it as actively as I trade stocks because these are 24-7 assets. And, uh, you know, they just drive you crazy if you do that uh, because the most active session is Asia. And that means you're up all night. And I don't like that. Um, but uh, on this one, I was talking to my buddy Alex Mascioli over there at Trade the Chain. And he was saying, hey, there's a great uh, bottom candle at about 18,800, something like that. So we both got in there, dug, dug deep and bought some on that dip. I know Alex was already short going into that, so he was covering, and then he went long. That gave me a little incentive to piggyback on him, and I did the same. Um, and these are trades, Frank, but I don't mean trades as in I'm in there 10 seconds long, 10 seconds short. But I think if that candle does indeed hold, we'd trade back up over 20,000. And, you know, if you can take 10% because a move from 18.8 to 20,800 would be about a 10% move, that's what I'm looking for, Frank. So that's why I did it. And as far as Ethereum, I think these are the two that survive. Um, I'm out of a lot of the crypto equities like Mara and Riot, which I mistakenly bought some uh, on Monday, Riot blockchain, but I bought calls. Um, and the only ones I really own now are Voyager and HUD8 uh, as far as equities and the crypto side. Brent, you have quite a bit of exposure as well. You own the Grayscale, Grayscale Bitcoin uh, uh, trust, which is GBTC trades over the counter, as well as Coinbase and Ethereum. Where are you at with crypto? I'm looking at some of uh, the numbers here down year to date, Bitcoin down 58 percent year to date, Ethereum down 71 percent year to date. So I think that investors need to understand you have, you know, three analogs coming together in this nascent space at one time. You have the equivalent of the TMT bubble bursting. You have long term capital management. And what more likely it seems now is some Bernie Madoff sprinkled in there. And so what you don't have is the Federal Reserve to come in and save that. And so I think that's what, you know, Sam at FTX is trying to do is to come in and be a backstop to try to stop some of the hemorrhaging. But I think there's been so much carnage. There's been a lot of trust lost. And so I think it's going to take quite a bit of time for all of this to settle. And I still I'm just unclear I feel somewhat confident there's potentially some more shoes to drop just because this system was so levered up. And so I think that as an investor, you know, I'm in the space. I have it sized right and it's long term. But I'm just incredibly disappointed with some of these bad actors and just how some of what's happening inside of crypto looks more akin to me, like the worst of old school finance than the promise of decentralization and all that, you know, blockchain and, and crypto hopefully can bring longer term. But it's definitely not a good time right now. And I think, once again, a lot of trust is going to have to be rebuilt. So I think, you know, someone like John, who's like an expert in technicals and, and sees what's happening behind the scenes, trading it's probably a really good way to play it right now. Brent, really quick, is there one crypto you see having the best upside for the second half of the year? I mean, I think right now you want to see who survives. And so I think that ultimately 
when this is all said and done with the, I mean, and you have to, and, you know, FTX and Binance are more in the private token market, but Coinbase, I think, survives. I think Bitcoin and Ethereum survive. And really, you have just like a, a, a flushing of everything and you start back over. But if you remember going back just to the tech bubble bursting, you know, Amazon, which was just a bookseller back then, which was a small cap company, went from six to, I think, 131, back all the way down to six. And so then it took quarter and quarter and evolution for so many of these companies from the tech bubble to reemerge, I think you're going to have a similar analog and narrative to what you have back then. So, so if you're going to play in the space, I mean, I'm in the biggest ones that I think will survive, but I don't think it's more about capital appreciation at this point. I think it's about pulling in and seeing which ones can maintain their balance sheets and stay alive. All right, a lot more crypto conversation tomorrow. Please join me for a CNBC special, Crypto Night in America. And speaking of FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried, he's gonna join us tomorrow at 6 p.m. right here on CNBC. A quarterly stock report, which includes which sectors investors think will be the biggest winners at the end of 2022. Much more halftime after the break. All right, less than four hours left to trade in the first half of 2022. Energy stocks, they're set to finish on a bit of a low note, having their worst month in more than two years. But when we ask which three sectors will be the top performers at year end in our Delivering Alpha survey, energy came out on top, followed by healthcare and financials. Bryn, you just made a move with one of your energy positions. Yeah, Frank. So I had sold XLE a couple of weeks ago just to take take profits. And so on some of the positions I own, and especially Devon, I've sold the October calls on that. And so I do think right now energy is has some has some headwinds only because you have these recessionary fears. But then you have the backdrop of the supply supply demand tightness. And I think that going into the July 13th, July 16th meeting where Biden's going to go to the Middle East, and talk to MBS, I would. I can't imagine he doesn't come back with at least something. I don't know how much production Saudi can actually increase, but I think there can be some rhetoric around that would be positive. So I think that could be a headwind for energy in the short term. So I wanted to hedge some of that and collect some of that call premium that Devin has right now because of the elevated volatility. John, energy, one of your biggest investments. Yeah, uh, and uh, I wish I would have gotten on Bryn's train and uh, shorted that XLE. Um, it would have been a great hedge. I've traded that one, but I didn't use it as uh, efficiently as Bryn did. Um, I think overall you're going to see, Frank, pipelines be uh, high demand, whether it's Kinder Morgan or EPD. Uh, th- there's a number of plays in this space. Uh, Devon's certainly a great one. Um, the dividends are great. Uh, even with uh, some sort of merciful settlement or whatever for the war in Ukraine, uh, I think they're still going to be loath to let Russian oil and gas be anywhere near what they were before, which puts more demand on the rest of the oil supplies and gas supplies around the world. So that's why I would continue to be in this space and overweighted energy, Frank. You know, I know healthcare is not quite as sexy as energy, but 58% of respondents did say they thought healthcare was the top sector. Ed Yardeni out with a note today, basically saying healthcare is undervalued, saying since June 16th has a dividend yield of 1.5%, forward PE of 14.8% lower than the S&P's forward PE. Josh, where are you at when it comes to healthcare? 
Well, what's interesting about healthcare is that it should be relatively immune to a lot of the macro forces that are affecting so many other sectors. So if you're looking for uh, growth stocks, for example, you can often find them uh, in biotech. The problem with that, is, and, and some areas of pharmaceutical, the only problem with that is multiples will contract with the overall market. So you might have a secular growth story. You might have a company developing drugs where, you know, Jay Powell can't really affect how many people need to buy that drug. But um, the macro is going to put pressure on the multiple that people are willing to pay for that future stream of earnings. So you're not quite scot-free across the whole segment. That being said, I do think there are areas within the XLV that are more impervious than others. And so if you're looking for a place to hide out, that along with the staples has been uh, a nascent area of potential leadership. I just would uh, maybe curb your enthusiasm. It's not as though you're going to see a huge delta between the overall S&P and the healthcare sector uh, if conditions continue the way they are. Jason, last word, seeing any big opportunities? I know we talked about it earlier, but can we drill down really quick? Are you seeing uh, bio, pharma, telemedicine? Where are you seeing opportunities? Yeah, so, I mean, we, we talked about it earlier, as you said, but healthcare for me, and I think Josh, Josh makes a great point here. I think, you know, from a recessionary, if we, if we are headed into recession or if we're already in recession, not that they're completely recession-proof, but I do think there's some tailwinds here. There's demographic tailwinds here. Uh, you know, COVID is not nearly as prevalent as it once was, so preventative care, elective surgeries are coming back online. And then I would just say on the farmer space, I think pipelines are really strong there. And um, I think a lot of the healthcare companies will continue to benefit from that. So that's that's where I am on healthcare. I think I think it's one of the sectors as we move forward into this cycle, which is a difficult macro environment, that could fare well on a relative basis. So I like healthcare here. All right, we're going to turn our attention back to tech. A big moment for semis. Micron getting ready to report earnings after the bell. The SMH on pace for its worst month since 2008. How to play this group in the second half? That's coming up next, right here on halftime. All right, welcome back to half. Micron earnings are due out after the bell in just a few hours. Semi stocks on pace for their worst month in 14 years. But Jason, you say you can start nibbling on semis a bit if you don't have any exposure. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, semis have struggled big time, you know, the first half of this year. I mean, the SMH is down 33% uh, year to date. But, you know, when I, when I look at semis, obviously, there are, you know, very powerful um, se- I mean, from a, from a cyclical perspective, I mean, they're, they're major, powerful uh, cyclicals. And I also believe that, you know, they power a lot of our everyday life. You know, so if I'm looking at an NVIDIA that's now trading at 27 times forward or Qualcomm, you know, that's about 10 times forward. Very different stocks, different companies that serve the consumer base in different ways. But I believe that this pullback um, is an opportunity to maybe inch in. Um, and create a position, you know, like I said earlier, maybe a quarter of a position, you know, in 12 months from now, you have a full position. But I just think that, you know, double ordering has potentially hurt these names, um, you know, and in other areas. But I do think there, there's a possibility uh, for, for long-term growth here. And I think this is, this is a time to potentially jump in. And, Brian, you have some exposure as well. You own NVIDIA. Well, I own, I own NVIDIA. I think from a company perspective, you know, between Jensen Wong and what he's done over the past few decades, 
everyone knows this. I mean, NVIDIA, the chips they make are really at the intersection of so many of the critical technologies that we're going to have over the next five and 10 years. So whether it's at a 27 Ford multiple or if it gets down to a 20, I'm still going to own it. If it got much cheaper, I'm sure I'll buy more. And Josh, you own NVIDIA as well. Um, what's your take right now? Obviously, we're seeing chips basically crash in the first half of the year. But do you see a big turnaround in the second half? No. Uh, the, this is in a defined downtrend. Every rally is sold exactly where it should be sold. The channel is actually almost perfect. Uh, this, the symmetry there is, is <laughs> breathtaking. So uh, this is a pattern of lower highs followed by lower lows. And every time there's a, a two or three day rally in the semis and you get excited and you go buy it, you have new lows, new 52-week lows, new multi-year lows coming. So uh, I think you want to watch on the SMH 150 as a level that may offer some support. That's February of 2020's high, right before the pandemic happened. Remember that uh, the semi-market is a global market. Um, and one leading indicator to follow would be Taiwan Semi, which I think, by the way, structurally is the most important corporation on the planet. Um, Taiwan Semi will be the tell, I think, that the worst is over for these companies fundamentally. Um, doesn't mean that's the stock I would buy, but if you're not following that stock, you're not really following what's going on because nothing happens in semis without Taiwan Semi being intricately involved. And that stock has a double top and nothing but further downside uh, based on price action. I, I just, I don't see the reason to run in here at this moment. All right, uh, SMH chip ETF pretty much flat today, down fractionally. All right, stay with us here on Halftime, Unusual Activity with John Najarian. That's coming up next here on Halftime. All right, time for Unusual Activity. John, what are you seeing? Well, I'm about to experience some unusual activity, Frank, because I'm heading to Vegas tomorrow, and LVS is the trade today. Um, LVS, they're buying 10,000 of the August 35 calls. So these are calls that are less than $2 above where the market is trading, Frank. Um, fairly fast time decay because they're out basically two expirations into the future, um, which is when things really start to accelerate. But I like the trade. Um, and it gives me a lot of time to be right as well. Second one, Frank, Warner Brothers Discovery, WBD, uh, 10,000 also of this one. Uh, this is the 5th of August expiring uh, 15 calls, and that is with this particular stock trading at 1310 this morning. It's been moving up. That deal with uh, whatever it is, Nexstar Media, uh, potentially out there driving price here. So I like this one as well. And again, that's August 5th expiration, 15 calls. Lastly, uh, Hertz. This one's a negative one. It's puts. They're buying the 15 puts in August. They bought nearly 9,000 of those, 900,000 share equivalent with the stock just over 16. So they're betting on the downside for Hertz. Um, and I can't really blame them because I don't know if there's enough cars out there, Frank, uh, to fill the demand that there is. And that, that means they need a lot more cars and they can't get them. Yeah, personal experience. I landed uh, in an airport two days ago, had to wait an hour for a rental car to be available. So uh, also big jump and put volume there. All right, final trades coming up on yes, Next sir. on Halftime. Enough of my personal anecdotes. Stay with us.
All right, time now for final trades. John, you're first up. All right, Frank, uh, Cliffs, CLF, stocks down 30-plus percent in a month from 24 to 15. I like it. I bought the stock. They're buying upside calls at the 18 strike, Frank. Channel in Farmer Jim on that one. Bryn, over to you. Yes, sir. Um, Jeppy, it's JP Morgan, active ETF strategy. I've talked about it a bunch. They own about 100 S&P names, each about 2% holdings. They're overweight energy. You own AbbVie, BMY, Lilly, J&J. And between the dividends and selling the call premiums, you're earning about a 10 or 11% yield while you have a defensive strategy underneath. Jason, what you got? I like McKesson here, pharmaceutical distributor, 9.6% free cash flow yield, a little over 10% long-term growth rate. It's done well this year, but I think there's some runway still to go here. Josh Brown. When in doubt, park it. Uh, SHM is a short-term unibond fund. If you're at the top tax bracket of 43%, this 1.85% yield is the taxable equivalent of about a 3.25% yield. Not bad. Uh, better than being down 10 or 15%. So that's, that's what I'm thinking about now. All right, that does it for Halftime. The Exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.